You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We are studying all this month uh, eschatology, the study of the end times. We're looking at Revelation. We're looking at some of the other passages concerning the end times. Did you know that Jesus spoke about the end times? And so if you would, turn to Matthew 24. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. This is uh, famously called the Olivet Discourse because he's speaking from the Mount of Olives. And uh, it gets that, that famous name because Jesus... To talks about the end time, then gives three parables, and so he talks quite a bit. My Bible has a lot of red following uh, Matthew 24, 25, and 26. And so I'm looking at Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there! Thank you. All right, Matthew 24, verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came to him and called his attention to the buildings. Do you see these? He said, Yes, I, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So Jesus is referring to the temple and looking at it and saying that this temple is going to be demolished. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so listen to this. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see it that none of you are alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. And then verse 7 says there's going to be famines and earthquakes. Verse 8 says, these are the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 9 says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death. Verse 10 says that many will, be, many will turn away. But 13, verse 13 says this, this statement that it's kind of a reoccurring theme about the end times. But he who stands fir- firm to the end will be saved. And then verse 14, a very famous verse. It says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole earth as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. And then I'm going to skip to verse 19. You could, by the way, I'm skipping around. You could feel free to read this whole passage later, study it, think about it, meditate on it. Uh, It's very interesting. Jesus continues to talk about the end times in verse 19. It says, how dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers? Verse 21 says, there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. Verse 24 says that a false Christ, false prophets will appear, perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. And then verse 26 says, Do not believe it, for as lightning comes from the east, is visible in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus, that's Jesus' second returning. It will be visible as, as the sun is in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. And then verse 29, Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage in Isaiah. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. Verse 31 says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet and will gather the elect from the four winds. And then the last verse I'm going to read, verse 36, No one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for for the end. We thank you that you've told us what is to come, that this world as we know it will end and and a better world, a a resurrected world. We will have resurrected bodies. When this world passes away, a new world will be made. And God, you are in control. We give all things to you, Jesus. You have all things in your hands. 
You hold it all together. God, we do praise you. We thank you. We love you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Man, there, there must be a sale back there on the bagels. Is that what's going on back there? Everybody wave to the bagel people. What up, bagel people? What up, sitting down people? <laughs> all right. Let's continue. I, I have a story. Have you ever like seen two Christians get really mad at each other and go back and forth and like with hatred and red faces like screaming at each other? It's a very fascinating thing to see. I remember seeing that, especially when it's like has, has, they're arguing o- over like a silly point. And uh, this is back in the days of the Left Behind series. Anybody remember those books? Anybody read them? Anybody see the movie with Kirk Cameron? <laughs> Remember back in the, when was that? Back in like 2099, somewhere back in there. Is that about when it was? I remember I was, I wasn't going to New Life. I lived in Utah, so I was going to a really cool Baptist church, uh, when, when I, when I, when the Left Behind series came, came out. And, uh, we had, we, as, as a church, we just like got these books. We were like giving them out to people. We like got all the Left Behind Bibles, so you could like go to like Left Behind Bible studies. And, uh, our church just loved the Left Behind series. And it was really cool to give left behind credit where credit is due it it sold millions of copies non-christians as well as christians read it we're thinking about the end times being prepared for the end times um the books give a great testimony to who jesus is and uh i mean to give credit to the left behind series it's awesome got a lot of non-believers thinking about jesus and his return and um so our church just loved the Left Behind series. And, and as a college group, uh, we met every Sunday morning for Sunday school, kind of like we're doing now, only it was just uh, a handful of us. And then we'd go to church together. And then we'd always go to Wendy's together because we were college kids and we were poor, but we could hammer out the dollar menu. It was pretty cool. And so we're in Wendy's. And, and so the, the, the college ministry, there's like 10 of us. We're hanging out, eating the double junior bacon cheeseburgers. Is that what it is for a dollar menu? <laughs> yeah, they're good. So we're hammering those down, and, and joining us was a new guy. There was a new guy from, from out of state. He was joining us. He had just moved there. It's the kind of guy that's a Christian, kind of guy that we want to welcome in and be like, oh man, well, you know, keep coming back. Be a part of us. And uh, he, he was sitting on, kind of on the end, and we were all sitting, and someone brought their Left Behind book, and it was sitting on the table, and this guy looks at the Left Behind book and says, man, I don't really like that book. And we all just kind of looked at him. And you know how like, like in the movies, like the party kind of like stops and there's like a record. <laughs> like that. So like everyone just looked at him and was like, uh, uh, are you about to slam the Left Behind series? And so someone kind of threw out a question like, oh, you mean you just don't like the story? You mean that you think it's all uh, theologically sound, right? And we're all kind of looking at him like, uh, what's, what's he going to say? And he said, well, I, I think it's okay written. It's a good story uh, about the characters. What's the main character's name? Kurt Cam- Yeah, Buck. Buck what? Just Buck? He had a last name. Buck, Buck Williams. Yeah. <laughs> eh, what a day. So Buck Williams, he said, it's a, it's a pretty good story about Buck Williams and, you know, his character. It's, it's, it's well written, but I don't agree with the theology of the left behind. And so everyone's just like looking at, looking at him like he's the heretic. He is the antichrist for not agreeing with the left behind series. 
And so him, the, this new guy, and like a really outspoken guy, started going back and forth, like getting mad at each other. And the new guy was like, well, I kind of I believe in a post-trib, uh, meaning that the rapture happens after a tribulation. And the Left Behind series is pre-trib. If you've seen the movie or read the book, like everybody disappears, then bad things happen. So the Left Behind is pre-trib. And so they're arguing pre-trib, post-trib. No, pre-trib, you idiot. No, post-trib, you're a heretic. And like it started getting heated. Like One of them was like, you must be a weak Christian. And if you think Jesus is coming back before the trib, you mean you can't handle the trib? And, then, like, and I'm just sitting there like, oh my gosh, this new guy is never going to come back. He hates us, which he did. He never came back. And uh, it was horrible. And uh, I just heard a joke. Uh, Joel Roberts told me this joke when we met together as uh, we have Think Tank and we talk about uh, kind of a sermon prep meeting before every month. And Joel said, I'm a pan-tribber. And I was like, what's a pan trib and he says it'll all pan out in the end <laughs> and i just thought it's i mean the the pre-trib post-trib thing that's not like that's like a fun debatable topic that's not clearly in scripture and yet these two guys in wendy's were like ripping each other's heads off in order to prove their side and i just thought i wish more people would say I'm just guessing when it comes to end time stuff that there's some verses that say this, some other verses that say that. There's different ways of interpreting the details of the end times. Is everybody okay with that? It just wish you wish people would say I'm guessing when I when I say this, but it's 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 my best guess, and I have some verses, but that, that it's just a guess. And so today we're going to look at uh, the the book of Revelation, ways of interpreting it. But before that, uh, just some announcements. If you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, if this is your first time in the Mill Sunday School, you were awesome. You braved the storm in order to get here, and you got here, and I think you're really cool. And so uh, if you are newish, on your table, it's like a little white, or should be, maybe you can find them at the back table. It's a little white uh, card. It says first timer card. If you fill that out and bring it to the nice people in the back, they will give you a gift for coming. We'll put you on an email list and uh, we'll we'll send you all kind of propaganda every single day. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm in a weird mood today. It's like the storm. We're just joking about everything. Um, Oh, here's the other thing I was going to ask you. I said I might ask you this. I've been encouraging you to read the book of Revelation. How many of you, since this month began, cracked open the book of Revelation? Show of hands. Yes, that's more than last time. Yes. Crack it open. Read it. Don't be scared of the book of Revelation. It is part of our canon. It's a part of the book. Books we believe are inspired, the word of God. And so don't be afraid of the book of Revelation. Jump into it with both feet. Read it. It's awesome. We'll talk more about that today. So if you're taking notes, does everyone have like a little note? It's what we call it the skillet. You got it when you came in. If you're taking notes, um, we have the first point is the for sures. And two weeks ago, I talked about the for sures about the end times. And I want to repeat some of them and uh, talk about them a little bit more in depth and talk about them in such a way that we don't refer to the book of Revelation. Because there's various ways of interpreting the book of Revelation, none of these for sures are coming out of the book of Revelation. And here's what I mean by that. That we have other, that Jesus himself talks about the end times. Paul talks about the end times. Peter talks about the end times in their books in the, in the New Testament. And, and so we could take from those scriptures as well as Revelation, but we don't even need Revelation to, t- to, t- to say that here are some for sures. So there's four point, excuse me, five points that are the for sures. Two weeks ago, we talked about the for sures and there was only four of them. 
we added one because I thought this is enough, the fifth, and you'll see why. When we get to the fifth one, it's not like we just add it, like thought it up. It's like, oh, we really need to, to say that this is for sure because so many people get off track and whack when it comes to the end times. So this fifth one, we'll get to it. But um, the first for sure is, is that Jesus is returning. So end times, if you're taking notes, end times, number one is Jesus will return. And he says that himself in uh, Matthew 24, verse 27. He says that uh, for his lightning, uh, let me skip back to actually verse 26. So if anyone tells you here he is or there he is or, or, or there he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Verse 27 says, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the, in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus will return uh, visible like, like, the, like, the, like lightning that comes from the east is visible. Um, and so he will return. He tells us he's coming soon. He tells us uh, that he will return. Just in the book of Acts, he ascends to heaven and he says, don't worry, I will, I will come back in the same way that I, I, I was, went up, I will come back. Jesus again and again says that he will return. So that's a for sure. Do you believe that Jesus will return? Yes, okay, that's, that's for sure number one. Are you ready for for sure number two? For sure number two is... It's a, there's a song about this, but the end of the world as we know it. Do you hear it in your head? The end of the world. The end of the world as we know it. Let me read about the end of the world as we know it. Second Peter 3.10. If you want to turn there, you can. It always takes me a minute to find Peter. I don't know why Peter's take me the first and second. It, t- it takes me forever. I can find Hebrews really easy. I could find Revelation really easy. There it is. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. Peter 3, verse 10. I'm going to read 10 through 13. Listen to this. Just picture it in your head. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. So if something like that happened to the earth, would it be the end of the world as we know it? Yes, it would. Um, and some people, uh, two weeks ago, I, 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 I said, oh, one of the four sures is the end of the world. And someone kind of debated and said, oh, well, what if this world is just transformed? Like our human bodies die. And, and Paul says like a seed that when we die, the seed has to die and be planted. And you look at a seed and you just think, oh, it's withered, it's dead. But then out of the seed comes, comes a new plant. Paul gives that analogy and says, humans will die and their bodies, Christians will be put into the ground like a seed and then they'll be resurrected anew. So someone was arguing, just for argument's sake, that, that maybe this world as we know it uh, won't just totally disappear, but it will be transformed into a new heaven and a new earth. And so I, I put the for sure is that th- this world will end as we know it. The end of the world as we know it. Whether this whole world will be transformed into a new world or this whole world will be totally gone Matter as we know it will end, and a new heavenly kingdom will come out of thin air. I don't know. But the end of the world as we know it. So, do you believe that? The end of the world as we know it will come at some point. It's a for sure. 
Number three is the resurrection of the dead. I just mentioned that. I meant if you want to look at the passage that I'm referring to where Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead, read 1 Corinthians 15. And in the early church, there was this argument, there was this debate in the early church that, oh, the, 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 the dead won't rise, which is a very weird, it's, it's like saying, oh, there's no afterlife. And Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians says, it basically says, are you dumb? Are you stupid? The whole message is about there's an afterlife. The whole message is that we die and then we're resurrected and brought to Christ. There, there is something more than this world. Um, we will be resurrected. Our bodies, there is an afterlife. Our bodies will be resurrected. Um, and so that's a for sure. Do you believe that for sure? We'll be resurrected as believers. Yes. That's number three. Number four is judgment. For sure, in the end, there will be judgment. Did you know that Jesus speaks more of hell and judgment than of heaven? That there is, there is punishment. There is judgment. There is um, to come a judgment that, that will separate. You know, Jesus says the, 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 the lambs from the goats. And he says that, um, you know, those who are in me get, get judged. And, and they're, they're, they're sent to a new place, a heavenly kingdom, because of what they've believed in Jesus Christ. And that there is a judgment for those that lived for themselves. Those, those people that did not um, give their life to God, to, to Christ. And so there is a judgment. That's number four. And finally, the fifth one. Are you ready for the one that we added? It's, it's very appropriate that we added this one to the four sures. Um, it's it's often very poor theology comes from this fifth one being out of whack. But the fifth one is no one knows exactly when. No one knows when. Jesus himself says no one knows the day or the hour. Angels don't even know. Uh, uh, there's, there's passages, the, the, the passage that we read in First Peter says that the coming will be like a thief. If you knew the thief was coming, would he steal your stuff? No, you'd pull out your 12 gauge. You, you don't know when the thief is coming, right? <laughs> Anyways, so like a thief in the night, no one knows when he's coming. So if someone says, oh, I, I predict this date or back in the day, remember Y2K shenanigans? Everyone was like, oh, the end is coming. The end, it's got to be Y2K. I have all these formulas and look at this verse. It says this, you know, it could be Y2K. The world's going to end. And, and so I thought in my head, I thought I was really smart, uh, which of course was, but I thought in my head, okay, if everyone's predi- everyone is predicting that the end will be Y2K, then it can't possibly be Y2K because Jesus says that no one knows when. So if everyone's predicting Y2K, we can be sure that he's not coming back Y2K. So while everybody's parents were buying generators and food, which you still have in your basement, I bought a can of Pringles just in case. <laughs> so no one knows when. So that we did add that for sure, that number five, no one knows when. No one knows exactly when is how I worded it. Um, uh, we'll talk a little bit later about the seasons and times because Jesus says that, that, that you, you'll know these things are happening but, but, and you'll, so you'll know the season, but you won't know the time. You won't know the day is this idea. And so uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So besides these, I just wish people were guessing when it came to the end times. The end times seems like one of those issues that Christians like to uh, divide themselves over. One of those issues that Christians like to argue uh, passionately about. And I just wish, besides the for sures, I wish Christians would just say, you know what, I- I'm guessing. But it's a good guess, but I'm just guessing. 
Um, to give you a little story, this, this doesn't have to do with end times. It has more to do with unity. But I was, I was talking with a, I teach First Corinthians on Monday night to King's College, and we were talking about unity in, in Christ, unity in the church. And the example was, uh, do you guys know who Jack Hayford is? Have you ever heard of Jack Hayford? He's one of our overseers of New Life Church. Uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that he coined the term spirit-filled, spirit-filled. And so he has a spirit-filled Bible uh, that he named it, and it has a spirit-filled study Bible. It's his notes. Uh, Jack Hayford is charismatic. He believes in the gift of tongues. He believes in prophecy. He, he, he exercises the prophetic gift and, and, and so on and so forth. He's very charismatic. I've met him in person. He's an awesome teacher. He's a pastor to pastors, and he is charismatic. And in that same town, he's, he started a church in Van Nuys, California. In that same town, northern LA in the valley uh, right next door uh, is another church called Grace Community Church where there's a pastor named John MacArthur and if you've heard of John MacArthur you, you may know that he's very anti-charismatic he wrote a book called Charismatic Chaos and saying that charismatics are wacko and they have things out of whack and they're wacky and anything doing with whack he says charismatics are whack um, and so here's this guy that's very adamant. He preaches, if you're charismatic, you speak in tongues, you're either falsifying, you're crazy, or it's of the devil. And so John MacArthur is that strong about that issue. And Jack Hayford, of course, is, oh, we believe, we, we accept the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecies. We believe the gifts are for today. And you would think that these two guys would just come together and have a boxing match and beat each other up, right? Wrong. They get together, they have lunch together. They get together, they, they hang out. They've each invited the other one, to speak at their church. I mean, here's, so you go to church on the way, you believe the charismatic gifts are for today, and you have a guy come, and, and of course it's like, okay, please don't teach on that, but, but, but teach unity, teach that, you know, that the, the, the gospel is real, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the Bible is, our, is the word of God, and, and hold hands in unity and say, we believe in the core, we believe in the for sures, we believe in, in the foundational things, and we lay aside those things that aren't, foundational. I mean, they're important. As as charismatic believers of New Life Church, we would say, oh, the gifts are for today. That's an important belief of New Life Church. And John MacArthur and his church would say, oh, we don't believe in the gifts for today. And that's a distinctive and that that makes our church what it is and we're important. But we put, they leave those things behind. And what a great example it is that those two guys get together. In fact, Jack Hafer wrote a book not too long ago. And this is what John MacArthur said of uh, Jack Hayford. So Jack Hayford is a model uh, faithful to the Lord, enduring loyalty. He has loyal, enduring loyalty to the church. It's the long haul that manifests integrity and proven character. Many have fallen in battle. Hayford is still standing a tribute to God's uh, marvelous grace. And so they just say nice things about each other. And they, they say that, you know, we have disagreements, but unity is more important than that. And so with that attitude, I, I want to talk about uh, the book of Revelation. I want to talk about different ways of, of viewing the book of Revelation. Um, not just pre-trib, post-trib, but overall. Like if we look at the book of Revelation, what are different ways, very different ways of viewing the book of Revelation? Some of you may have, like if, you know, maybe one person has like, oh, I'm a left behind kind of guy, or I'm a very different, I, I view the book of Revelation very differently, that we can all in the end hold hands in unity and say, there's for sures. You know, we, we, we read the list of for sures concerning the end times, but we're all believers here. We all love each other. We can, we can hold hands in unity and say, Jesus is our Lord. He is returning. There is the end of the world as we know it, uh, etc. And so I want to open this up for discussion. 
And so you could think about this by yourself, or if you're at a table, you can kind of throw some of these out of there. Uh, out. I want you to discuss what are the various ways of viewing the book of Revelation. So you got the question, what are the various ways of viewing the book of Revelation? You may have a point. You may have uh, someone at your table may view it very differently than you, and that's okay. Or you may view it a certain way, but maybe you've heard of someone else viewing it a different way. I just want you to write down as many different ways of viewing the book of Revelation as possible. Do you got it? Do you got what you're supposed to do? Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. I'll give you like two minutes to think about various ways of viewing Revelation. Rig a second. That's kind of weak, man. Oh, all right. Sugar Bear thought it was weak, too. He says he, says he wants the funk. Check. 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 Let me give you, like, 30 seconds to wrap up. 
a freak to see, but not the type that sneaks. Speaking to my past, them around seem free for I wasn't the man that I am today. See, I ran the games like Tate Man is made. Max was effective in those early days. He turned black to white in the hazy gray. So the word cut through it like a fuck night. It's so deep, and we're free for life. All right, everyone. Did you think about the book of Revelation? Um, <clears throat> I should say that uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of passages in the New Testament besides the book of Revelation that have to do with the end times. And so, this we're just looking at. Okay, how do you look at the book of Revelation? Not in times in general, but just how do you view the book of Revelation? I probably should have made that more clear. Uh, but there's some dudes. I believe they're dudes. Yes, they're dudes, Malcolm and Joel. They have some microphones. They're holding them high in pride. And so if you would get their attention and just give us one. I have four different ways of viewing the book of Revelation. You may have another one. So we may need to extend the list. But... Feel free to just share what's, what's a way of viewing how to interpret with a big scale the book of Revelation. You got one. You got one? Got one? You got a good one? <laughs> people are like pointing at other people. There's, there's a hand back there. I see that hand. Thank you. Another hand for, for Malcolm to get ready. Okay. Yes, sir. My turn. Um, a lot of people view it literally. Like literally. There's a literal. So literal for... It. For today, like, it is about the end times. Is that what you mean? Like, like when it happens, like, the way it's written out, it will happen in this way. Okay, yeah, for the end times. Okay, so, like, a seal, like, a seal being broken means something in the end times. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, everyone write down. So, number one, write down the word futurist. F-U-T-U-R-I-S-T. That is one of the views of the book of Revelation. It is by far the most popular today in the United States for viewing the book of Revelation. The Left Behind series kind of grabs that idea and says, okay, everything that happens in the book of Revelation is for the future, is for the end times. Therefore, uh, a seal being opened is is a certain happening, a bowl of blood being poured out. Uh, When it says earthquakes, there will literally be an earthquake in the end times. If it says Antichrist, there will literally be a person that is the Antichrist. Um, In my opinion, this is the funnest way, the funnest, for whatever that's worth, of viewing the end times. Because you're you're thinking, okay, this book, uh, if you're writing down notes, write write the book of Revelation. So for futurists, book of Revelation written to end time people. And so written to end time people. And and so it's fun to talk about... um, the Left Behind series, it's fun to... How many of you are, are reading or have read Rob Stinnett's book, The End Is Now? He's coming to speak this last month, uh, the last week of Sunday School, by the way. His book kind of plays on that. Um, it's, it's a fun way of viewing Revelation because you're like, oh, could, the, could Obama be the Antichrist? Could Visa credit card company be the mark of the beast? Could these things be. Um, and so, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to think about that and to give it credit where credit is due. Um, it gets people thinking practically about the end times. It gets us being ready for the end times and saying, okay, everything in Revelation has a one-for-one equivalent for the end times. And so what could these things mean, etc., etc. So, futurist. Everybody got that one? Okay, yes, Mr. Roberts. Stand up for us if you don't mind. We came up with, uh, it's the beginning of the end. Beginning of the end. So, okay, let me me fit that kind of into one of my ideas and say historicist. 
So write down the term historicist view, and I'll spell it for you. H-I-S-T-O-R-I-S-I-S-T. Historicist. And these are words that are actually used amongst people that interpret Revelation. If you have a study Bible, these words are probably in there. I'm not just making up these words for fun. But this, to kind of develop that idea a little bit, is um, not, not a very popular way of viewing the book of Revelation, but it says that the book of Revelation has been, is, is like, uh, maybe I'll just say it, the ages of the church. So next to historicists, just put ages of the church. Um, meaning that, for instance, the seven churches in, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Thyatira Philadelphia, Smyrna, um, Sardis, and Laodicea, like those are actual church ages. And so the first one, Ephesus, was the early church. And then uh, Smyrna was the next stage of church. And then the Middle Ages are Pergamum, for example. And then the book of Revelation uh, is, is like about certain times in history. How many of you have heard of that, that interpretation before, at least heard of it? Um, so that, it's not that pop- popular today, but it was popular in the Middle Ages to view the... Uh, the book of Revelation that way. In fact, Martin Luther, have you ever heard of Martin Luther? He viewed the book of Revelation in that way and said that the Catholic Church is the Antichrist. Of course, back then he's, you know, the Protestant Reformation. And then the Catholic Church said, oh no, you could calculate Martin Luther's name and his name in numbers is 666. And so they were fighting back and forth using the book of Revelation to fight that battle. It's kind of fun to think about. Uh, okay, so that's the historicist. Uh, one, one more, another one. Yes, sir. Please go ahead. Um, I would say it's God's promises. I mean, we're going home, and it. Uh, what, what? Sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, God's promises, things God. that are going to happen. Uh, we'll be going home. A glimpse of heaven. We'll be worshiping with the angels forever, and um, the devil's finally going to get what he's deserves he's going to be cast into the lake of fire yeah that's good so that would be i would probably put that into uh the futurist idea those events happening revelation is literal um those things have maybe go into the futurist is what i would do another one anybody else you got one joel yeah my guy you have um, one the idea that the events in the book of revelation have already taken place the, the events, okay, yeah, everybody write down this term. Thank you, Joel. Uh, th- this one says a pre-terrorist, and I'll spell that for you. I know I'm just kind of giving you big words that you may have never heard before, but they are like the words that people use when interpreting the book of Revelation. A pre-terrorist, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T, a pre-terrorist, says that the events of, book of uh, the book of Revelation were written to the first century church. Therefore, the events have already happened or were just written in a symbolic way as to encourage the first century church. For instance, the first century church would say, oh, Antichrist, the mark of the beast, uh, his, his number can be calculated from the emperor at that time, Nero, or in Latin, Neron. And so you could calculate those numbers into 666. And the early church did that. You could look at early church fathers to saying, we've calculated the number, his number is Nero, who was the emperor at that time. And uh, this view of the book of Revelation, in some ways, it's not that fun to say, oh, all these events have already happened. Obama can't be the Antichrist because Nero was the Antichrist. Oh, that's not fun. The iPhone can't be the mark of the beast because the iPhone didn't exist back then. 
It's not very fun, is it? Is that fun to you? (laughs) But despite its funness or lack of funness, um, this way of viewing the book of Revelation, I think, in my own opinion, is is the, the way in which we need to look at the book of Revelation first. If we look at it first, because at any book of the Bible, uh, I, I say this statement, and I say it again and again. I say the Bible's not written to us, it's written for us. And so in that same idea, I'd say the book of Revelation, not written to us. And we have the seven churches to whom it was written to, literally. Uh, it's not written to us, but it is written for us. And so I would say maybe the first thing we need to do in studying the book of Revelation is to say, how would the first century church have understood it? And then from there, go on to say, okay, if it is to the end times, let's interpret correctly through the lenses of the first century church. Does that make sense? Okay, so what I'm saying is uh, there's, there's been three so far, a futurist, historicist, preterist, and, and finally, there's one more that I have. Anybody? Yeah, go ahead. Um, a lot of people, um, especially non-Christians, view Revelation as the rantings of a madman stuck on an island by himself in a cave breathing fumes for too long, <laughs> or, <laughs> or just an interesting work of literature and fiction. All so, symbolic. Excellent. Yes, Thank you. Symbolic. Yes, that is a, a very popular... It, it's not that popular today in the United States, but it, the, the most popular, of course, is the futurist. But this, this view of the book of Revelation has been the most popular. It's called idealist, I-D-E-A-L-I-S-T, idealist. And that means, if you're, if you're taking notes, all symbolic. All just this literary genre of apocalyptic genre. Um, This was, to give this view some credit, this was the most popular view over time. The early uh, church fathers, the people in uh, like Augustine had this view. Uh, Maybe you've heard of the name Origen. He was an early church father that said that uh, like the beast represents evil and the beast has seven heads well those are the seven deadly sins it's it's about good and evil and it's all just symbolic and um for whatever it's worth this view has been in 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 the past has been the most popular way of viewing the book of revelation that it's all just spiritual that you just sit down you read it you think about good you think about evil and and you know that in the end the good wins and you think about the uh, the the literature and the how john the author of revelation paints with color all of these stories taking place etc etc so ways to view book of revelation we talked about four of them in my opinion and for whatever it's worth i wouldn't sit down and argue and choke someone if they didn't think this way like me uh, i might <laughs> just for fun but it's not right. My, my personal view is to look at the book of Revelation as a preterist and say, and say, let's view the book of Revelation in the time that it was written to the first century church and then from there take another step and say, okay, some of it may be symbolic. Some of it may be uh, directed towards the end times and lining things up, but let's view it from the eyes of the first century church, church first. And so in my opinion, I would say that some of the things in the book of Revelation have already happened, were already for that time in the early church. But for whatever that's worth, um, that's my opinion. Um, Next week, we will talk about the futurist, which is probably the most popular view of of viewing the book of Revelation. Raise your hands if you view it that way. If you're like, oh, the book of Revelation is for the end times. It is uh, maybe pre-trib or post-trib or dispensational. Anybody? 
Yeah, that's, that's probably the majority of us view it in that way. And maybe your Bible has like a chart, like here's the, the rapture, here's uh, the trib, here's Jesus coming back, here's the millennium. And so that is the most popular way of viewing the book of Revelation today in the United States. So next week, we will go way into that, that particular view. And I'll talk about the beast and the antichrist and the rapture and the mark and all that fun stuff. So that's next week. So... With the time that's left, I, I want to just answer this question because we met, as, as Sunday school leadership, we meet once a month and we kind of talk about the topic that we're going to be talking about that month and uh, g- give me ideas for my sermon prep and stuff. And I asked the question at this meeting of Sunday school leaders. I said, um, okay, if you don't want, if, if you came to Sunday school every Sunday this month, what would you really want to hear? What, what piece would you not want to be left out? And, and various people shared different things like, oh, you know, I wish you would talk about this or that. But there was this reoccurring theme of, okay, what are we supposed to do? Like, in times, it will happen. You know, the for sures will happen. Jesus return into the world as we know it, etc. You know, just tell me, like, big picture, what are we supposed to do? How many, how many of you are interested in that question? Just like, okay, big picture, just tell me what to expect, kind of like, what, what do I need to do? Um, and, and so I, I came up with a list of one, two, three, four kind of big picture things. Um, and these, so these, this isn't really in your notes. I didn't know that we'd have time to get to this. But this, uh, so the big picture, what are we supposed to do is, is the question. And I kind of have four answers to that question. And they're big picture. They're, they're, they're seemingly very obvious. Number one is, is what we've already kind of talked about. Know the for sures. Know what's a for sure. Know what's not a for sure. Don't choke other Christians if they're pre-trib and you're post-trib or you're mid-trib. Just, just don't choke each other. That's all I ask. <laughs> That's funny, everybody. Lighten up. Are you taking notes or what's going on? That's hilarious. Um, don't choke each other. No, number one is, so what are we supposed to do? Know the for sures. Know what is for sure. Know what the, the other things aren't really for sure. There's different ways of viewing it. Uh, know the for sures. But um, at the same time, Jesus does say, um, know the season. And while we already said that no one knows the time or no one knows the date, Jesus does say, I'm going I'm to look at this passage in Matthew again. Matthew 24, 32, Jesus starts off with this lesson. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the, the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all things have happened. Heaven and earth will not pass away, uh, will pass away, excuse me, but my words will never pass away. So he says, learn a lesson from the fig tree. You know that it's about to be winter when the, when the, when the, when the leaves fall off. Um, know, know that you need to be ready. So point number uh, two is, is kind of know the season. Know the season slash be ready. And in the end times, we know that uh, some other thing, you know, it's, it's going to be a bad time. It's gonna, there is persecution. Jesus says that there'll be persecution. He says that, you know, how dreadful it will be for nursing mothers and, and pregnant women. And he says, pray that it will not take place in winter. Like, there, that sounds like some, a bad deal is going to go down. And so, uh, number one, know the for sure. Number two, three, I'm going to put them as two, three. Know the season and, and be ready. In, in the be ready idea, um, don't think that, oh, I'll just, 
you know, do something that I need to do later in my life. Uh, maybe, you know, a really good example is, oh, I know that this church thing is good. I know that I need to give my life to Christ, but I need to clean up my life first, or I need to do this before, you know, I need to go have a really good party before I can give my life to Christ. I need to have a lot of fun before I can truly give my life to Christ. And and that's, that's not the way we should live. We should live as if the end is now. We should live as if he could come back any second, like he says he does, to be ready um, to be to, to do the things that you need to do in life. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have. Maybe there's someone you need to call, etc. Don't wait for later. Do the things you know you should do now and be ready for the end. So that's, that's kind of point with know the season and be ready. Uh, uh, number three, I have it as um, uh, stand firm till the end. That phrase is in the New Testament again and again. Stand firm to the end. Know that in the end, there will be persecution. There'll be hard times. Jesus never promises us a Disneyland faith. You know, once we believe, oh, it's like, a, you know, rides and popcorn and cotton candy. It, Jesus says there'll be suffering. You know, pray that the end times don't happen uh, in the winter, that the coming of the end doesn't happen in the winter. How dreadful it will be for, for nursing mothers. You know, there, there, there's some bad days ahead of us. But those that stand firm to the end will be saved. So re- reviewing know the for sure's point two and three, or just to know, know the season, be ready. Point three, depending on how you're numbering it, I'm probably confusing you more. Stand firm to the end. And, and the, the last point, um, the last point is rest in Jesus, trust in him. Rest in Jesus and trust in him. And there's, there's a lot of, I think sometimes a lot of fear when it comes to the end times. Um, because, ba- I mean, Jesus himself says it's going to be a bad time. And that we can come to it and say, oh, I'm afraid of the end times. Or, you know, the Y2K, like fear, like stock your basement up with supplies and, and, and just live in fear. I mean, there's, there is something that, good about preparing for for natural disasters, but there's another thing to be overcome with fear and to look at the Bible and say, oh, it's, it's all going to be bad. I'm in so much fear because of the end times. I refuse to read the book of Revelation because it's scary. And that is, that is not how we are supposed to live. That is not something we're supposed to do is to live in fear. And so in closing, I want to read my very favorite passage of the book of Revelation. And I want to read it. I remember, remember the first, if you were here the first Sunday of this month, I compared the book of Revelation with a WWF tournament. Do you remember that? If you were here, you know what I was talking about. And I compared it because there's all these different characters and there's a battle going on. And the good guy starts to win, but then the good guy starts to lose. And you're like, oh my gosh, is Hulk Hogan going to lose? And then no, he comes back, he stands up, he body slams Andre the Giant. And in the end, the good guy wins. And so this, I, I, I compared it, you had to be here, I guess, or get it on podcast. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of cool to talk about Hulk Hogan and those things. But anyways, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to read chapter five and I'm going to read quite a bit of it. And I, I, you, I, here's what I would want you to do is to, is to kind of close your eyes and, and I want you to picture this scene. And, and the, the, first, the first century church that got this letter probably didn't get to sit down and read it. It was probably a scroll going to the seven different churches. It was probably read in a meeting uh, on, a, on the Sabbath, probably a Saturday, uh, at a church meeting. They would gather together in a small town, uh, so the small, like say Ephesus. They would gather together in a small room, excuse me. And they, this, this book of Revelation would be read as a letter. And... Um, 
And so I just want to encourage you with this. So if you would, you can close your eyes. Just kind of meditate on it like it's a prayer. And I want to read this story of the scroll and the lamb. It's my favorite passage. And so contemplate it. Meditate on it. Think about it. I want you to feel free to imagine this scene going down in heaven. Revelation 5 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with the seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And I want you to take a minute and just picture that. A a lamb is a a defenseless animal. And this particular lamb is a lamb that looks as if it had been killed. This this half-dead lamb is is what is this this image is what is seen in heaven who is worthy to open the scrolls and 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 this this lamb comes out looking half dead this lamb comes out and verse 7 says that the lamb came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it the four living creatures the 24 elders they fell down before the lamb each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Then I looked and I heard a voice and many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands. And they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And then 13, verse 13 says, Then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under earth and on the sea and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And then Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. So Jesus, as we pray to you right now, as we reflect and imagine this scene, this heavenly scene that is happening. God, we are so grateful that that you are worthy, that you took our sins upon us, and that is why you you are pictured and imagined as this lamb that that has been slain, this image of a a lamb that takes away the sins of the world, this image of a a half-dead little defenseless animal, but you are worthy. The miraculous thing is you are God. You are worthy. You are worthy to take the, the scroll to open its seals. You are worthy to take our sin upon you. You are worthy because you are God. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, we worship you. We worship you by reading the book of Revelation. We worship you with our imagination. God, we worship you because you are holy. You are God. And we know that in the end, you win. In the end, there is nothing that can stand up against you, that you are worthy. No matter what uh, thing that has been created, no matter the dragon or the beast or all these things, that you, 
Even though you are pictured as a defenseless lamb, you are worthy. You have conquered. You've conquered the grave. You've conquered everything. And we are worthy to, to come into your sight only because you have been slain for us. That our sins are upon you. And you look at us as saints. You look at us as holy and chosen because we have looked at you for our salvation. So God, we praise you right now. We leave here rejoicing because you are worthy. We love you. We worship you. And everybody said, amen. Amen and amen.